0: Welcome to Spinsters, a podcast where we sometimes take our jerseys to goodwill very regretfully. I'm Haley, and with me today we have a returning guest. I almost said who is Alex Wong, but that's not how you speak English. That's just not how it works. Okay. (laughs) Welcome to Spinsters, a podcast where we regretfully sometimes take our old jerseys to goodwill. I'm Haley O'Shaughnessy, and back with me today, hello Alex Wong, how are you?
1: I'm good. I'm so glad to be back on Spinsters. And Haley, today, I want to talk to you about NBA jerseys. Growing up, did you have a favorite NBA jersey?
0: I was not really an NBA fan growing up. Um, It was college basketball country where I was, and that was pro sports. So I don't have one that I'm attached to in the same way I would be attached to say the Louisville Cardinal um, from the 80s but I remember very much loving the Denver Nuggets rainbow one just because I thought it was fun and you know what it is fun I still love that jersey what about you
1: yeah I'm so glad you asked because growing up in Toronto as an NBA fan in the 90s I was obsessed with the original Raptors jerseys and I'm sure you remember the dinosaur logo, the, the color purple was really popular at the time. They even had a Naismith silver color that they introduced to, to honor James Naismith. I really don't know what that was about. But like a year before the Raptors even had a roster with any players, once they introduced that logo, I just fell in love with it. And I remember going to Sears and just begging my mom to buy me a t-shirt or buy me a jersey, anything with the dinosaur on it. And honestly, when I think back about the 90s, obviously, I think about all the players like Michael Jordan, like Patrick Ewing, Reggie Miller. But I also think about the amazing jerseys that they wore. And now when I think about it today, Haley, now that you are a huge NBA fan, do you have a favorite jersey today?
0: Probably the only one from modern day that I would say is one of my favorites is the Miami Heat Vice jersey, which they came out with a couple of years ago as their city edition jersey. It's not even their full time.
1: Yeah, we're definitely going to dive into that on this episode. And it's interesting you mentioned only the Miami Vice jerseys because my answer would be the same. And I think that's a huge problem because we've got 30 new jersey designs every year. Each team is required to put out a City Edition jersey. And somehow with this increased output, we don't have new modern day iconic jerseys, which I think is a huge problem.
0: I mean, yeah, that's what you want from a team, right? You latch onto it to love its stuff and want to support it and wear it. So if I was the NBA, I would make stuff people would want to buy. That's just my personal business model.
1: Yeah, and I'm honestly sad that the Raptors have moved away from the purple. We here in Toronto do black and gold now because those are the colors of our global ambassador Drake, which has absolutely nothing to do with the team's history, to be honest.
0: (sighs) Maybe when he buys a WNBA team, you can. that's a different story. Then those will be the colors. But I'm very excited. Um, where should we start?
1: You know, today I really wanted to dive into what NBA jersey design creation was like in the 90s and what's happened today.
0: If you don't have players on the field with the right skills, you're going to have a tough time winning. The same goes for your business. Indeed is a fast, simple way to make sure you're hiring MVPs. Go to Indeed.com spinsters to claim your $75 credit before March 31st.
1: When I think about the most iconic plays I watched growing up, Reggie Miller scoring eight points in nine seconds to beat the Knicks, Michael Jordan shot over Brian Russell in the NBA Finals, Larry Johnson's four-point play against the Pacers at Madison Square Garden. When I think of all these 90s memories, I can remember the exact uniforms everyone was wearing. Today, I can barely tell you the jerseys associated with the most memorable game winners, dunks, and even finals clinching games. Thinking back to the most recent NBA Finals when Giannis scored 50 points in game six to clinch his first NBA championship, Did he do it wearing the white jerseys? Or was it the ones that said, Cream City? There's just so many jerseys now, it's hard to keep track, even for the most important games. Generally, I think that the NBA uniform design has gotten too
2: uh,
1: chaotic. That's Tom O'Grady. He owns a marketing and branding company called Game Playing Creative in Chicago.
2: And I just, I can't imagine that that's something that's good for the league. And I also don't know who's the home team and who's the road team.
1: At face value, jerseys don't matter a ton outside of their simple purpose. They differentiate the players on a field or on a court. But when a jersey becomes the link to your fandom, your memories, it means a whole lot more. But I hate to say, we might be on the verge of losing that.
2: I think it's fine to add um, pieces to the identity, but I think you really have to be solid to the core of what you stand for.
1: Through this constant shift of jersey redesigns, changing color schemes, and nicknames for teams, everything has become disjointed. But it wasn't always this way. There used to be a time when jersey designs were handled with care. It was the 1990s. There's no better person to tell the story of the golden era of NBA jerseys than Tom who became enamored with jersey and logo designs very early on in his childhood. As a kid at school in Chicago, Tom would draw hockey players from memory on note cards, and he would draw logos of Chicago teams for art projects. Then, when his uncle finally took him to see the Blackhawks play hockey in person, it all came to life.
2: The Blackhawks, you know, came out in these beautiful red uniforms and on this white ice, and they were playing, I think, the Detroit Red Wings who had these white, gorgeous uniforms. And I just... It was almost like when Dorothy goes from the black and white into Oz when she opens the door and, the, and it's all color and Oz is all in color. That's what that moment felt like to me. And I had that connection 40 years ago, you know, to see that in person. It just it kind of shook me to the ground.
1: Tom grew up and continued his passion for design, eventually becoming an art director in the 1980s for a company in Chicago which had McDonald's as one of their national accounts.
2: I actually worked on the first ever Monopoly promotion at McDonald's. So if you ever play the Monopoly game at McDonald's, the original art direction on that was by yours truly. The game
1: Monopoly has come to life at McDonald's.
2: I started working on projects there for the McDonald's sports marketing program and actually in 1987 worked with Michael Jordan. On a large fry for small fry promotion and got to spend the day with Michael. And uh, I couldn't believe that I would be able to actually combine my love of graphic design and sports.
1: Tom's work caught the attention of the NBA office. And eventually he was asked to fly to New York for an interview with Commissioner David Stern. Mind you, this was 1990, and the league was just starting to explode in popularity thanks to Michael, Larry, and Magic. The increase of basketball fans worldwide also meant the NBA started to pay more attention to merchandise sales. And as a result, the design of NBA jerseys became an interest at the league office. Prior to this era, that had never been the case. In the late 80s,
2: team uniform design actually was the responsibility of the team equipment manager. Uh, And he would work along with the marketing head of the team, uh, the team owners, and so The idea of team outfitting and graphic designers doing uh, uniforms and logos was non-existent. Um, The value of how much effort and and, and attention is now on team logos and uniforms, there was none of that back in the late 80s. And then there was a turning point. Uh, In 1988, Alexander Julian designed the Charlotte Hornets expansion team identity.
1: Alexander Julian was a very popular American fashion designer. He was introduced to Hornets owner George Shin, who thought it would make sense for Julian, who grew up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, to be the person to come up with the team's jersey design. So Julian simply came up with a design based on his two favorite colors, purple and teal. And so a classic basketball jersey was born. Soon David Stern saw the merchandising potential of well-designed NBA jerseys. After a few years of courting him, David finally hired Tom O'Grady, and he became the league's first ever creative director.
2: So at the ripe old age of 31 uh, my wife and I were newly married packed up and moved to New York. This is 1990. So when I walked in the door the concept of having a creative person at at the NBA was foreign to everybody. So there was no department to walk into. <laughs> there was no, you know, Macintosh studio to be in working at. So I I schlepped my drafting table and some of the supplies that I had used back in Chicago. And I shared an office with two other people at the time, and I had a drafting table in a t- corner, and that's kind of how we uh, we started out.
1: Tom still remembers his first big assignment. It started with a phone call from Jerry Colangelo of the Phoenix Suns in 1991. The team was moving to a new arena and wanted an update on their uniforms. As the league's brand new creative director, Tom was essentially the in-house designer for every NBA franchise.
2: I was very fortunate for that particular assignment because the team's colors were so unique, the, the purple and the orange. And I wanted something that was kind of quick moving and fast. And um, because I think that, you know, when I thought about the game and I thought about speed and motion, I felt like maybe we could do something that even the logo had some speed and movement to it.
1: Tom worked on the new logo. Mind you, this was 1991, so he was still using a marker and pencil. And after a couple months of designing and tinkering, he flew out to Phoenix with a bunch of concept boards to show Jerry Colangelo his ideas.
2: We had this one idea where the sun was kind of flying across the front of the uniform uh, on a purple background and uh, with a bright orange ball with some gradation in it. And, uh, and he absolutely loved it. The one thing that when we presented it, we had the ball going from the upper left shoulder to the lower right part of the body. And he said, the one thing I want to fix is I want to have the Sun going upwards instead of downwards because that would represent the forward progress of the organization. The uniform launched, uh, you know, it was great because that was a very good team. Charles Barkley had just come on, on board as a free agent with the Suns. They were moving into a new arena uh, at the time called America West Arena. This was their 25th anniversary as a team. And so they had the perfect storm of brand uh, positivity going simultaneously, and uh, and they had a great team. And so that's the team that went to the NBA Finals in 1993 against the Chicago Bulls.
1: The Phoenix Suns design has many of the qualities that made 90s jersey designs so memorable. It focused on the primary colors associated with the team, channeled its history while propelling it forward, and coincided with a team on the rise, which helped fans of the team attach winning to the jerseys. These are the tenets of a good jersey design. And creating the template for a good jersey paved the way for Tom who had just kicked off a brand new era of graphic design.
2: And it really opened up uh, kind of a, a positive Pandora's box on pushing the envelope of what a normal
1: NBA uniform would look like. The expansion Toronto Raptors wore purple jerseys with a giant red dinosaur dribbling a basketball. The Atlanta Hawks put a hawk with a huge wingspan and the ball in its talons. Then the Milwaukee Bucks followed suit with an oversized deer. The 90s became this wonderful playground of creativity for Tom O'Grady and his team. So they were excited when Clippers owner Donald Sterling called and asked for a redesign in 1993. Yeah, that's right. That's the same Donald Sterling that Adam Silver banned from the league several years ago.
2: We were ecstatic because we felt like that current Clippers logo... um... You know, the red and the blue look like just another one of the, you know, early 80s NBA logos. And so we also knew that uh, L.A. is an exciting, exciting town. It's a bright town. It's a flashy town.
1: The Clippers logo up to that point was a very generic looking design. It featured the word Clippers in blue italics inside a red basketball.
2: What we try to do is move the, the direction of the Clippers into more of a surf style. You know, the team played... In L.A., and, you know, the surf and beach culture there in the early 90s was super popular, and all the surf magazines happening at the time, and, you know, up into the area there, uh, Santa Cruz and Huntington Beach and Manhattan Beach and all that. So we came up with this seafoam green color and this bright orange color, and, uh, and when we presented it to
1: Sterling, he
2: really fell in love with it.
1: And then suddenly, Donald Sterling got cold feet. We had
2: one of the most unusual NBA-type meetings. We we're eating out in this beautiful veranda on Donald Sterling's home over at Malibu. <laughs> the man had money, and uh, and so, you know, we were like, "What is the problem?" He's like, "Well, I'm having second thoughts about it, you know, and I'm not sure I even want to keep the team in LA anymore." So Sterling had killed the project, and uh, and. Boy, that was a a shot to the chops because I really felt like it was gonna be a nice improvement from what they had. It definitely allowed us to have a new color palette for the league, and uh, it was really, really unfortunate.
1: The failed Clippers logo redesign project did come with a silver lining. David Stern realized the league needed a much tighter process of his creative team, working with NBA teams on logo and jersey designs. These teams would have to submit a formal request to the league if they wanted to rebrand, and they were required to provide a detailed marketing plan for the rollout of their new identity. The league would review submissions and provide teams with an estimate of costs to design and trademark these new logos. Up until then, the NBA provided rebranding services at no charge to the teams. Under Stern's watch, Tom O'Grady and his team never had another experience like the one they did with Sterling's Clippers again. Tom ended up working with the league for 13 years, helping to redefine the branding of franchises across the league before leaving in the early 2000s. The success of the new designs pushed the first domino of a long-chain reaction of branding evolution. Over the next decade, NBA merchandise would blossom into a billion-dollar industry, and designs kept coming to feed the growth. Adidas eventually brought us sleeve jerseys, and sponsor patches showed up on jerseys in 2017. That same season... Nike took over from Adidas as the league's apparel partner, signing an 8-year deal worth roughly a billion dollars. Because of the dollar amount of the apparel deal, again, we're talking about a billion dollars here, there was clearly pressure to deliver a return on that investment. It is one of the motivations behind Nike releasing 30 new City Edition jersey designs altogether each year. Tom was quick to point out that there was also financial motivations behind the jersey redesigns in the 90s. But there is a crucial difference. Back then, people like Jerry Colangelo and Donald Sterling approached the league about jersey redesigns organically. When the people running the teams felt like it was time to change their brand identity, they did. But today, the 30 teams have no choice. Under the Nike deal, every team has to promote a new jersey every year. The brainstorming of City Edition jerseys take place at Nike with their own group of in-house designers. These ideas are then brought to the NBA for approval. Gone are the days of teams approaching the league directly. According to Tom, some of the City Edition jersey ideas that are approved today would not have made it past David Stern's desk back in the 90s. Bad jersey ideas simply weren't allowed. Flash forward to today, and it seems like anything goes. The question is, how does this shift from wanting to change jerseys to having to change jerseys impact basketball fandom? That's after the break.
0: If you don't have players on the field with the right skills, whether it's breakaway speed or elite playmaking ability, you're going to have a tough time winning. The same goes for your business. Indeed is a fast, simple way to make sure you're hiring MVPs. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash Spencers. Offer valid through March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all go to indeed.com slash spinsters to claim your $75 credit before March 31st indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process find great talent through time-saving tools like indeed instant match assessments and virtual interviews indeed.com slash spinsters terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed
1: tom isn't in the room for the nike jersey design meetings and neither are we but in my opinion they have come up well short in the creative department compared to the NBA jerseys of the 90s. I took a quick scan of this year's City Edition jerseys recently. Some of the designs just feel lazy, like the Oklahoma City Thunder's all-white jerseys. Others just seem like they're doing too much. For example, the Charlotte Hornets are wearing their classic teal uniforms, but somehow they've decided to add a honeycomb gradient to the jersey. I get that it's a nod to what their home court looked like in the 90s, but it looks like the jersey got that grayscale disease from Game of Thrones. Is there a cue? I don't know. Since the new apparel deal with Nike, it seems like teams introduce new colors to their jerseys without a second thought. Many of the colors have no connection to the team's history at all, but instead they just pull at the city's history. And neither does the storytelling, which sometimes feels like someone just closed their eyes and picked the most random fact about an NBA city on their Wikipedia page. For example, the Orlando Magic, whose black, blue, white, and silver colored uniforms of the 90s remains one of the best ever, are suddenly wearing orange jerseys. Orange was picked because Central Florida has a long-standing tradition of being involved in the citrus industry. So when I'm watching the Orlando Magic play and I see them in their orange uniforms, I just think of truckloads of oranges instead of Shaq and Penny dominating in the pinstripe jerseys in the 90s.
2: It's a new
1: playoff. Ah. These aren't just my opinions, though. They're shared around the league by fans. The people who the NBA is marketing these jerseys to.
3: Hi, my name is Larry Luke. I'm a creative based in Atlanta, Georgia. I moved here in 1999 and I've been an Atlanta Hawks fan ever since.
1: Larry remembers the 2018 City Edition jerseys the Hawks wore. They were a nice, sleek, clean design. When you look at these jerseys, they're not doing too much. But even so... There was one problem.
3: The palette they went with was um, gold, black, and white, and they used gold because it was it coincided with the 50th anniversary of the Hawks moving to Atlanta, and uh, I guess gold is the color for 50. Uh, however, they ended up just looking like something a New Orleans Saints fan would wear, and as as someone that lives in Atlanta, we love our red, we love our black, and uh, it just kind of stood out as something that didn't fit with. Our red and black theme.
1: The little details that used to matter when it comes to NBA jersey and logo design seem to not matter anymore. And it's reflected in the color choices being made. Across the league, we're seeing teams make really weird changes. Orlando's wearing orange now, the Milwaukee Bucks wore yellow jerseys a few years ago. It's led to a common complaint fans turn on the TV and have no idea who is playing. But the confusing colors are just the beginning. The storytelling of these city-edition jerseys seem to be straying too far from the franchise's core identity, and it feels like the designers are just forcing city references onto these jerseys. One prime example is the Philadelphia 76ers and their city-edition jerseys from last season. They were called the Boathouse Row jerseys, which spotlighted an iconic U.S. historic national landmark that runs along a river just west of the Philadelphia Museum of Art. While it's a nice local reference, How it ties into the history of the Sixers is unclear to Tom.
2: It's about the boathouses where they keep the crew boats uh, along the river uh, in Philadelphia. I just find it so myopically short in its ability to resonate with anybody outside that local area. And to me, it has almost nothing to do with the Sixers.
3: Some are just trying too hard, right? Right. It's like that guy that walks down the street that has like the hottest shoes the hottest pants the brand new fitted and like every everything is just like trying so hard uh and to be ostentatious and it doesn't necessarily work i think it's easy to spot like a fake it's easy to spot oh that this was designed by someone that's never even been to this city before
4: Hi, my name is Whitney Medworth. I am the director of content at Home Field Apparel. Uh, also, a longtime member of basketball Twitter, uh, been a huge NBA and WNBA fan for most of my life. I also am from Indianapolis, Indiana.
1: Whitney knows about vintage team logos and the power they hold. She works for Homefield, a merch company that taps into college fandom, nostalgia, and their vintage logos.
4: When you think historically back on teams, like you think of the player and in your head, you are absolutely like picturing what they're wearing. So I think that it absolutely latches on and ties in. And so when people look back at, you know, whether it's the Pacers, you look back at the Reggie Miller era. Yeah, the the teams were great and those jerseys were great. And it all kind of combines in your your brain and you latch on to that and you want to continue that. So I I absolutely, absolutely think that happens.
1: Here's what it gets down to. When you're producing a new jersey every year, it's impossible for fans to foster any kind of attachment to their team's uniforms. And even when a team comes up with an incredible jersey design, the City Edition uniform concept and the demand of a new design every year means teams have to abandon even their best designs. The best example is the Miami Heat. They debuted their Vice jerseys during the 2017-18 season to universal praise. The laser fuchsia and blue gale accents perfectly captured the vibe of the city of Miami and gave birth to a modern classic. Like the classic jersey redesigns of the 90s, the Vice jerseys instantly became a recognizable part of the team's identity. But because teams are required to come up with new jerseys all the time, Miami has tinkered with the Vice jersey theme the last few years. And they've moved away completely from them this season. Which raises the question, what exactly is the point of these city edition uniforms if teams have to move on from a great idea?
4: No one in the world would have cared if the Miami Heat were like, "Hey, we're we're not going to we're not going to play along. Like we're just going to ride hours out." Where would have been zero complaints. And so I think that I mean, as we get into this more, like I hope the NBA teams can pick and choose like how much they want to change over because yeah, now we've lost easily one of the best jerseys in the NBA.
1: It's a shame too, because the Vice jerseys are truly the only real modern classic redesign I can think of over the past five years. For every Miami Vice jersey, there's about 20 Cream City jerseys out there that nobody wants. So what are the jerseys that resonate with fans today? And what can we learn from them? After all, not every jersey since the 90s has been bad. Whitney points to the storytelling of the jerseys that is taking place right now in the WNBA.
4: The WNBA was able to just really tap in and make just like have a clean slate and make super great jerseys for either team. I think the one that sticks out most in my mind from the past season is the Chicago Sky uh, released the glass ceiling breaking the glass ceiling Jersey, which was like blue with the shattered glass on it. Um, Cause when I think about, if I think of WNBA and I think of the new Jersey releases, and I think of the previous season, it's like seeing Candace Parker in that Jersey is kind of what like pops into my head. Um, and I think that one worked because again, the Jersey was just very cool. Um, and then the Chicago sky, their colors are blue. So when that Jersey was blue, um, it, it made sense. Like, you still could identify it with the team.
1: In the NBA, Tom O'Grady points to the Memphis Grizzlies City Edition jerseys from last season as a successful example.
2: The 2020-2021 uh, Memphis Grizzlies City Edition, which was tied to the Stax Records in Memphis and the tie-in to Isaac Hayes and the Shaft album, I think is absolutely a beautiful uniform. I think they were able to take the integrity of their colors, of the, of the Grizzlies colors, of the turquoise color and the black and the bronze, and then come up with a design that uh, has some really quite similarities to the Grizzlies uniform uh, from Vancouver, but looks completely different. And I just felt like what they did with that uniform looked very fresh to me. There's a lot of details in it that makes you wanna look at it and study it more without being busy.
1: The elements of a memorable NBA jersey hasn't changed much since the 90s. Stick to the core principles of your brand's identity and don't stray too far. Tom says it's an approach that some of the best brands in the world use.
2: When you step back and look at the shelf, it looks like the Coca-Cola bottle or the Coca-Cola can or the Gatorade bottle or can. Uh, Sure, it's been freshened up and it looks very different than it did 35 years ago. But the components are there. They've just been reshuffled, reorganized, uh, modernized, cleaned up, made a little sleeker. And I think that that is, I think, at least in the core brand, and that's the best
1: way to do it. But even reshuffling and reorganizing can lead to terrible results. When you mash up a bunch of eras together, it just becomes a creative mess. There is a section of NBA fans who would like teams to simply bring back the vintage 90s jerseys that they love.
4: You know, just play the hits for people.
1: People are clamoring for the NBA to bring back the 90s jersey designs today. But let's keep in mind not all of them were universally accepted by the fans back then. Take the original Raptors jersey with the dinosaur design which was inspired by Jurassic Park. Today, that jersey is widely considered one of the most iconic and cool jerseys from the 90s era. But at the time, it was mocked for being a Barney the Dinosaur ripoff. It was called cartoonish, childish, and corny. And the Raptors as a team were bad.
5: Yeah, uh, not cool, ugly, not, not interested in it.
1: One of many people who hated the Dino jerseys when they came out was Josh Rauder.
5: Co-owner of In Vintage We Trust, a premium curated vintage clothing store in Toronto, Canada. A lifelong Torontonian. And a minor basketball fan. Wink, wink. I mean, um, not that I didn't like a dinosaur as a logo, but I had a major issue with the fact that a Velociraptor was never um, native to Toronto or Canada. If anything, I'm a nerd. So I wanted like uh, an Albertosaurus. I don't know, something that like was in Canada. I mean, I understood obviously that The Raptor was uh, marketable. Jurassic Park had just come out, et cetera, et cetera. But I didn't want to hear any of that. Also, the the colors were purple and red, white and black. Those aren't Toronto sports colors. Toronto sports colors are blue and white. I mean, Toronto participated in the first NBA game ever. Massive history here. They just should have used an updated Huskies logo.
1: Josh is referring to the Toronto Huskies who hosted the first NBA game in league history in 1946, when they played the New York Knicks at Maple Leaf Gardens on November 1st. The Huskies lost 68-66 to 66 that evening, and the franchise lasted just one season in Toronto. Their jersey designs featured the classic blue and white that Josh is fond of.
5: Toronto and New York played the first ever NBA game in the city. <laughs> Why would you steer away from that? It just didn't make any sense. It was just like unfathomable, I didn't didn't get it.
1: Josh's opinion was shared by many. But then a strange thing happened. Over the years, the Raptors Dino became popular, even accepted. Then the Raptors won the championship in 2019 and it just exploded. As a basketball fan and vintage store owner, Josh has seen the popularity of the original Raptors jersey grow firsthand. Whenever Josh stocks Dino products in his stores, they just fly off the shelves. What was once seen as gnarly and garish are now seen as bold and cool. And I remember this firsthand because as a kid growing up, I used to wear Raptors dino jerseys to school and all the other kids would make fun of me. Another
5: reason I have such an issue with the dino jersey or did was the Raptors
1: were not good. They were horrible. Josh wants the dino to be put away altogether. He actually pushes back against Whitney's suggestion of simply playing the hits. The idea of bringing back the original Dino jersey, which the Raptors actually released a version of a few years ago, is not something Josh can get on board with.
5: Nah, it's gotta mean something, right? Like, maybe for some teams it would me- it would make sense, but I feel like you have to do that like in, in in spurts. You can't do it like all the time, right?
1: When you remix an idea too many times, you just destroy the original idea. To celebrate this NBA season, the 75th anniversary season, each NBA team has a City Edition jersey design which represents the ultimate basketball moments mixtape. So basically, it's a compilation of the franchise's greatest hits through the years in every design. The Raptors, like many teams, are using this year's City Edition jersey theme to mash up design concepts from the 90s with present day. Their jersey is a remix of the original Dino uniforms. But instead of purple, they're wearing black and gold, and to understand that, you have to first understand that Drake is the official global ambassador of the Raptors. And you have to understand that Drake's OVO brands' primary colors are black and gold.
2: All we are is proud and passionate. We are like a college sports team. The Toronto Raptors are a college sports team, I promise you. I love Toronto. I love this team. And we're going to a the NBA. A chance to win I at home! Win. A chance to win at home! That was a very excited Drake. Talking about the Raptors now
0: when.
5: when The team puts out this City jersey with the dino on it. Everyone can now be a part of this really, at one time, exclusive club. And that destroys the entire cool factor of that particular logo. It's not as special anymore.
1: What Josh wants is the early 2000s Raptors uniform, worn by Vince Carter when he joined the franchise... And when the team made the playoffs for the first time, Carter, lead the Vince Carter
2: able to come up with a loose ball and the Raptors now lead 87.
5: 8'3. Carter has 27.
1: It's a jersey which has yet to make it into the Raptors City Edition lineup.
5: Guys, the Raptors won in the early 2000s. Okay? Carter was here. They were good. Let's get the dazzle. Leave the Dino alone. It's been done to death. We want the dazzle, you know, or, or something from that era. It's really, really, it's really a nice jersey. The roads are beautiful. This is what's even wilder about it. Nike was the manufacturer back then. So Nike's back. What are you scared of? You own the license. The jersey was Nike. You can't run away from, oh, the jersey wasn't made by us back then. It was. Do it.
1: Ultimately, I hear consistent gripes across the board when talking about today's jerseys. The market is too bloated, the storytelling is too forced, and the color schemes are too wild. But Tom O'Grady seems resigned to the fact that things aren't changing anytime soon. Nike and the NBA have way too much money invested in this. And in a sad way, this is the capitalistic conclusion to what Tom helped create in the 90s.
2: They have such a power power play in all this, and they pay the league's millions of dollars for the rights to do this. And so I think that there's the biggest thing in this is probably the return on investment by, you know, the the, uh, more is more saying in this case, the more uniforms we make, the more uniforms people are going to buy and the more money we're going to make. I really think that it's not much more sophisticated than that.
1: It makes me wonder, how will this present generation of NBA fans find meaning, joy, and connection with their team's jerseys and logos in the same way I used to in the 90s?
2: You lose that, you lose that um, generational integrity and the generational connections to the teams as well. And, uh, and that kind of bothers me. Maybe I'm a purist or a traditionalist, and yet I don't think I am. I like experimentation, but I think in doses, you know. I just don't think it can happen all over and over and over again, you know. So I think there's a certain integrity that just gets, that just gets thrown out the window because you're just chasing the next City Edition uniform or whatever.
1: Bad jersey designs aren't just a disappointment from a creative standpoint. To Tom, and many fans of NBA teams growing up, it creates a detachment that might be hard to get back. The more you mess with jerseys, colors, and logos of teams, the more you move away from building those connections.
2: A logo to me represents your signature. You know, it's the thing that, it's the front of the ship. But in particular, sports logos, they have to take on a little bit more personality. And the colder the logo, I think the less popular they are. I think it becomes somewhat tribal in nature. And it becomes something that all of a sudden people are tattooing on their arm or they're putting flags in front of their home with the team logos. It becomes something that the community can share. And in today's fractured world, to be able to all come underneath one flag, You know, to celebrate a moment in the region, I think it's still so pure, and it's um, so—it's just something that I think is um, driven by emotions. And I think sports, don't forget, it's an emotions-based business. You know, we're in the emotions business. So, the logos, I think, if they're done properly, uh, and they evoke this strength and this colorful nature and somewhat of a unique color palette, uh, I think it becomes very proprietary to the marketplace and something that fans can be proud of. And, And I think that when it's done right, they become things that you almost don't want to mess with because they have such generational power to them.
0: This episode of Spencer's was written and reported by Alex Wong. Our editor is Alex Ward with production by Alex, Harry Krinsky, Isabel Jocelyn, and Jordan Liggins. Our production coordinator is Devin Shepard and our executive producers are Peter Moses, John Yales, and me. name is Sean. Um, I'm in Oakland, California. And uh, I sent you a text message actually, but just thank you. This was, I was only Emily halfway in your first podcast, but it's incredibly refreshing. It's positive. There's a positive energy. It's super smart and pretty much better than anything else that's out there. So thank you. Keep it up and best of luck.